Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 142 of Control the Controllables. And today's guest is somebody I've been wanting to get on for a long time. Many people have have treated me as if I was, uh, as if they were stepping on glass. So as if I were very fragile and um, nervous, nervous to push me, nervous to get me to try things. And that is the complete opposite of who I represent. And those of you that didn't know Fran Jones before 2021 certainly will know her after she qualified at the Australian Open. Fragile, she is not. Tough, she is a girl from Bradford, from the north of England, who has dealt with adversity from the very start of her life. As she was born, missing a finger on both hands and missing three toes. But this isn't who defines Fran Jones. Fran Jones is on a journey. She's 153 in the world WTA after a successful junior career. She's progressing at a fantastic rate. And after listening to her, I'm sure you will have no doubt we're going to see lots more of Fran over the next few years, having lots of success on the court, but also bringing inspiration to us all off the court. Here's Fran Jones. So Fran Jones, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm just sat at the MTC right now uh, and it was very dark outside. So uh, trying to keep the spirits up by speaking to you. <laughs> well, I, well, I hope we can. I think uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. a couple of northerners, you know, yeah. maybe a, li- a little bit misplaced in this sport in the UK, but <laughs> hopefully a couple of northerners that are, that are doing all right. And I, I, I think the first thing to say is, like you say, if people could see you now, you know, the backdrop of indoors NTC, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not all a glamour life. No, um, I, I have spoken to them about these particular walls as um, they do kind of seem to resonate those of uh, of prison. So <laughs> um, it's, it is not, it's not the best look that you've got, but hey, at least it brings more of the focus to me. Eh? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think my first thing, I mean, Fran, just, as we just talked about off air, this is 142 episodes of this podcast we've done, which has been amazing. Just everyone's story, everyone's got well their done, own... Well- different stories and and I think I want to get into you your story how you got into tennis but but starting with you've had a little bit of a breakthrough year 2021 certainly at the start of the year you know you came onto everyone's screens but even looking how the years progressed if we forget the grass court season for a minute um bloody grass got in the way but everything else you've had a pretty consistent year what's your reflections on 2021 yeah, look, I mean, first of all, congrats on your on your amount of episodes. That's awesome. Um, but um, I think from my perspective, 
I wouldn't call it, you know, I, I, I know the terminology of a breakthrough year is, is used quite often in, in sport, but I never like to call it as breakthrough because I think especially in, in, unless it's something extreme, especially in my situation, I just see it as another year that's, you know, we've made progression. Um, I think, you know, I, I, of course the results at grass weren't what they, we would have wanted them to be, but I, I was in isolation for, for the um, almost seven, I think it was seven days prior to grass. So I went okay. into the first tournament with, with practically no training and, and that did unfortunately have a, have a little bit of an effect on, on the remaining tournaments. That said, I did put a good performance in against Coco, who had just come off the back of the, the quarterfinals of um, Roland Garros. And I was, it was a very tight match where I felt like we could go either way. So I try and look back on that. And at, at the time I was, you know, very frustrated and, and upset, but I think after after the the year that I had to that point, I I wanted to kind of realise that look, you know, when you pass qualities at your first Grand Slam you've ever played, your expectations can be very high. But when I look at the year, I've, I've played two out of four of the main draws, and I've I've um, you know managed to make all the all the Grand Slams as well because injuries can be a uh, can be a problem sometimes. And I think. It's not, you know, I've, I've, I have ended the year early and that was kind of my choice. But I think what we have played, um, we've done with, with the right mentality. And I think now, if anything, I just feel I've learned so much and can't wait to execute what I've learned next year. And you mentioned there, Fran, expectation. And I think it's, it's something that we've talked loads on the podcast about this, like diff- different players, coaches, agents, whatever it is. It can be the killer for a lot of players if expectation rises too much. You know, the amount of times I know as a coach, I've coached a player, they've beaten a seed in the first round. Uh, this is on a micro level. And then the next day, they their, their expectations are high. They're not quite feeling the ball the same. What are some of the strategies that you and your team use to manage that expectation? Um, two things I'd say. Firstly, I I don't I don't struggle from the expectation around me because the expectation I've put on myself is higher than anyone would ever put on me. Okay. Um, so I think if there's uh, one expectation I'm learning to try and manage, it's my own and the pressure that I put on myself because um, like my perfectionist trait is you know is a big part of who I am and and it can work to your advantage but it can also work against you. So I think that's something I'm definitely trying to learn you know continuously about um and I think the second thing is you know at the end of the day like I I try and be humbled as humbled as 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 I can and I think when when you're humbled you respect every player on the other side of the net and I'm I'm extremely competitive so to me whether it's a seed or not a seed I want to win the match either way so I think learning you know learning about what being humbled is and, and how you use how you use that to your advantage by always respecting everyone um the same, whether they play tennis, they don't, whether they you know they work what might be considered a standard job or work as the, the biggest banker in, in the city. Like everyone deserves the same amount of respect. And and so for me, that hasn't been something, especially in the you know, in the last uh the last season that I've struggled with too much. And where do those, when I hear those values, I always relate them a little bit to, to the North. And I'm, oh. and, I'm <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying that that is, that you have to be from the North to have those values. But I, but I do think traditionally, 
northern families you know I, and i said this to you off off air when i heard your accent i hadn't quite clicked you know mm. the, the the full north with you but it came through very loud and clear and and all of a sudden like i said i liked you a lot more um <laughs> but but are they where do those values come from is that is that something that you you've always had and and i guess this is probably the point where we talk about you getting into tennis you know when you started tennis your family upbringing where did all of that start and what impact has that had on the person that you are today? Yeah, I mean, uh, you're definitely right. It comes from the northern roots, I'd say. I mean, um, I grew up on a farm um, in yeah. middle nowhere um, and my my parents weren't farmers, but they they uh, they bought this property, let's say. And um, I think when you, you know, when you grow up north, you, you don't see too much glamour let's say and so um my whole family has worked very hard for what they've what they've got and um my parents I'm, I'm extremely fortunate you know they they do really well for themselves but um I think irrespective of who they are now what they've done to achieve their you know their their current uh let's say accomplishments they've They've worked really hard and they've they've given it everything and always had that fighter mentality, always been greedy, always wanted more. And so I think it definitely originates from there, you know, my my uh, my that sort of view that I have on things. But I'd say, you know, when when you also travel so much with tennis and you go to countries like the South American countries where I spent a lot of time and you, you know, you see these these kids who kind of come up to you and they they've barely got a racket but they're mm. so excited to to be on a tennis court and um and you know they can barely afford to, to to have breakfast lunch and dinner yet they've still got a smile on their faces and I've always enjoyed going to South America because of that you know they yeah. they they face adversity on a daily basis. You know, people they they, they might wake up to a death on 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 the front doorstep, and it's it's the norm for them. But yet somehow they learn to to view life with with a smile. And and I think tennis, you know, tennis players hopefully and 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 will uh, in the future really appreciate the fact that we do get to the ends of the earth and only is it from my upbringing but also the observations I've made since traveling especially of course on the on the ITF tour uh, you you really should see what's around you and open your eyes and that's that's so much bigger than what anybody achieves on the tennis court as well mm. you know and, and that that ability I think for all of us that are that are lucky to be in this sport that certainly if we're fortunate enough to travel and, and see the world there is no better education, you know, and, yeah. and 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 it's something I think is often not talked enough about one of the real qualities of of getting into the sport. I think a lot of people go along this journey and it's like, I'm investing all this money and we're investing all this time. And if I don't make money as a tennis player, then it's been a waste of the investment. Whereas whereas I couldn't think anything more different than that. And to 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 hear you say those things and I can see your face that that they genuinely, you know, mean something to you, and and you you have that picture of that little kid, you know, and those those things are are so highly motivating. Share one story that's had the biggest impact on you from traveling. Oh wow! Um, I'd say 
Um, I played two 15Ks when I was, uh, like, I'd like to say 2018, but don't um, quote me on that. But I did win one of them, so it'll be somewhere on my profile, I'm sure. But um, I went to uh, a village called uh, Villa Maria, so it's uh, in Argentina. Uh, and I couldn't quite believe where I found myself. And uh, we got to the airport, which was three hours away. And this taxi driver, we'd, we'd organised a taxi driver to pick us up. And of course, in, in, in Argentina, you know, a, a three-hour taxi is the equivalent of a 10-minute ten, a ten, ten taxi in London. Um, and this man picked us up. And, you know, when you go to these places, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I speak Spanish. But if, if I didn't, I'd be even more tentative around these people. Um and he's picking us up and I'm thinking, you know, I really don't know who this guy is, but he has a quite a humbled look about him, a very welcoming, welcoming face and, and seemed really excited that, you know, these two uh, foreigners were going to be in his, uh, in his village. And so, anyway, he drives us to the hotel and I was like, look how much I owe you. Fair amount. I paid him for the, for the trip. And then, you know, he says, well, well when are you playing? And I was like, oh, you know, maybe Tuesday. I got there about four days before well, you're not going to go to the club before, he says. And I said, well, yeah, we'll go every day to train. And then when I play my match, I'll play my match. He's like, all right, okay, well, just message me when, you, when you're going to be playing and um, I'll take you to training and I'll take you to the match. So I messaged him. I thought, okay, let's, let's give it a try. I wanted to have faith in, in the person. I didn't want to judge him. Uh, 9 a.m. he takes me to the club. He's like, so when do you finish practice? Uh, in about an hour and a half. Okay, I'll, I'll take you back. So finish my practice at about 11 and uh, he's there to pick me up, takes me back to the hotel. And I was like, okay, we're going back this, this evening, so uh, hopefully we'll see you around. He's like, okay, what time are you picking up? Same thing happens every single day, every single day. I won the tournament, so we got to the final. And on the day of the final, he was there five minutes before we'd agreed, took me. So when I finished the final, he says, um, I, I'm so happy for you. Like, uh, it's been a pleasure. And I said, okay, well, you know, how much do I owe you for all the trips? And we're talking about 10-minute trips there and back. And he goes, owe me? It's my pleasure. You don't owe me anything. And so at this point, I'm thinking, hold on. I, I, I feel a bit uncomfortable here. Like, I, I should pay him for these trips. And, and I'm not sure if he's, if, I, if I'm being too trusting here and something might happen later where he, and um, he's like, I, I don't want a penny off you. So I said, okay, well, let me, let me take you and your family out to dinner because that's the least I can do. I've won the tournament. You know, uh, I want to take you to a nice dinner. We'd found this one restaurant based on a vineyard that was phenomenal. And I took them there and we finished. And he said, that's the best meal of my life. And it was him, his two daughters and his mum. Unfortunately, his wife had passed away from cancer. And, uh, and to this day, we're talking about three years now. Um, I message him or he messages me uh, once a quarter to check in. Wow. And, um yeah, I I think the relationship. I mean, I have goosebumps now. But if one day there's something I could do to move his family to a to a better place, I, I will for sure. Over the 142 episodes, there's been a few goosebump moments, and you've just given me another one. Oh, you know, <laughs> oh I've got two. <laughs> what a, what a lovely lovely story. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, have, we'll have to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> English, but I can certainly translate for him. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. What an amazing story. Thanks for sharing. And I'm going to just take you back a bit. Um, yeah. Bradford. Yeah. Not, 
not a not a tennis hotspot. That's what you say here, mate. <laughs> As such, although although actually a couple of good friends of mine when I was growing up, Felix Jagger, you know Felix uh, Jagger and Nick. I'm Fr- not Nick- the best. Okay, well, they were Bradford boys. I'm sure they were. So going back in the day, we used to we used to play all the northeast training squads, and you know, yeah. coming across. So how does how does a girl get into tennis in Bradford? How did that start? It's not your typical story, that's for sure. Or I don't think it is anyway. Um, so, well, I was never sporty. So I loved a little bit of Capri's when I was younger. I loved a sticky toffee pudding at the weekend. And um, sport wasn't my thing. I wasn't really that interested in it. Um, I did have football shirt, if anything, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't my thing. And so I, I, I was driving home from school my dad picked me up and my brother and sister were in the car um he just picked them up uh, because they live in manchester and brought them to to get do the school pick up on a friday evening and um we're driving driving home and i wanted to stop by this bakery because i wanted to get a, like a cornflake bun and in front of the bakery was um was a tennis club and it so happened to be that my dad was talking to us in the car about how he really needed to get rid of us for the summer because he had to work and couldn't do with having us running around the office and uh, we needed to get out of the place from about nine till five in whichever shape or form he could possibly imagine. So um, we're driving to this bakery and, and we see the club and on the club is this huge banner on the front of the club saying summer camps nine till five. Um, and I kid you not, didn't get my cornflake bun. The guy dad swerved straight into the parking without asking us if we had any interest in tennis i'd never picked up any sort of racket in my life let alone anything but a football and uh all of a sudden next thing i know three weeks later i'm at 9 a.m you know with my hair everywhere barely opening my eyes got a tennis racket in my hand and supposed to hit this yellow thing over a really mini net and uh, that's kind of how it how how the, how it began um and in terms of you know the way the way the the relationship somehow progressed um i think i my parents wanted to get me into an extracurricular activity because i wasn't the fittest of kids they thought it'd be a bit a bit of a good move for them to have me doing some exercise and then i i started going once twice a week um but at that point um due to um some physical differences that i have we uh we had to check it in with the doctor and the uh, the doctor had at that point decided to tell me that I wasn't going to be able to play tennis. And my parents had to pull me out of the, the summer camp and any extracurricular activity I was doing at the tennis club needed to be forfeited. So my parents, I don't really want to repeat the words that my dad said to the doctor, yep. but we uh, did leave very quickly. And um, I basically was spurred on to, to give it a go and commit a bit more. And, and so we built up the amount that I was practicing and, um, and then ended up in Spain a couple of years later. Isn't it amazing how like sometimes these, and what was amazing there is you spoke, as you said, nine till five, something happened at the NTC, but there was like a shining light. I don't know if you <laughs> saw it, but it was, but it was like, bizarre because that was such a shining light moment i guess as as this this thing yeah, this the automatic light came <laughs> on um, so yeah it was almost like they knew the story because that moment and and you mentioned and and, and we talk about having adversity and 
so many people do have adversity to deal with in their life. And this is absolutely not the defining moment or the defining thing for Fran Jones. You know, I think your your ability to deal with adversity and even just I'm loving talking to you 20 minutes in, your energy, your 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 hallway, your positive outlook. But and I hope I get this right, but you were diagnosed with ectrodactyl, ectodermal dysplasia. Good effort, because you know what? I just use the abbreviation, so fair enough to you. EED. So yeah. Uh, so for, for what that means, tell the listeners what that's meant for you. You've used the terminology physical difference. And and I guess from there, I'd, I'd love to obviously delve into that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, um, I was born with uh, four fingers on, on each hand, um, all webbed together, as were my toes. So um, there were, I couldn't disconnect them in any way. Um, got three toes on my right foot and four on my left and um there's quite a bunch of symptoms but i suppose those are the main ones that are, are, are visible let's say and um I, yeah i was i was born like that and i've i've gone through you know uh, at least uh, over 10 operations if not maybe a little bit more um but definitely double digits and yeah i mean it's just part of who i am and it, yeah. I, I use physical differences because um many have referred to it as a disadvantage or deficit and that's certainly not how i view it no no absolutely and and, and that, it's certainly not a label and, and i think the bits that i would love to to hear a bit more about is because i don't think we hear this from you you know i've, I've heard i've listened to lots of interviews with yourself and certainly during australian open but what what effect does that have on you when it comes to technically and being able to play and how have you then overcome that? Yeah, that's, you know what, that's a great question. Uh, I'm glad you've asked um, because a lot of the focus just tend to be on kind of the visuals, um, but yeah. not necessarily uh, the functional. Yeah. Um, and look, I mean, my racket is completely different to, to a lot of people's. I have the, the grip shaved down and um, Wilson have yeah. been a sponsor um and they've they've always tried their best to adapt to me um the weight is very very light in comparison to the vast majority of the tour so i play at about 282 grams um in terms of the way that it affects my training i think the big there's two things where i felt or two moments where i felt um the biggest effect one would be the fact that many people have, have treated me as if I was uh, as if they were stepping on glass so as if I were very fragile and um, nervous nervous to push me nervous to get me to try things um, and that is the complete opposite of who I represent which um, yeah. I hope you know someone with balls I, I I think you know you've got to take risks in life you've got to have a little bit of fun and um, you know not be a muppet and go too far but um, but of course give things a try and then um, and so I've felt in the past that fitness coaches especially have been very tentative around me and, um, and that's not never what I've asked for. So I, I only really started doing weight training in 2018 when um, I hired a, a fitness coach who is still currently part of my team, Roberto Vabasori. He was the first trainer or fitness coach, however you want to refer to it, SNC coach, who, who really thought, okay, I'm going to tackle this and I'm going to 
try and figure out ways that we can better fans training without being, you know, so stubborn in the way we go about our days and doing, you know, really basic stuff, which didn't even, didn't even mean we picked up a weight at all throughout my session at one point. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful that he, he kickstarted that um, approach with me. Um, and I think if there's a moment where I've really tried to pick things up um, to, let's say, push forward, it's now. Mm. Um, I really had decided, I took, I made a tough decision in September to finish my season um, and tackle a nine-week training block pre-season, which is why I'm currently sat at the NTC. Um I did a study with um, Jill Myber, who is working, uh, worked, has worked with Joe for the last seven years with jo- Joanna Conta. And Jill has collaborated with uh, my physio, Mario, and, um, and Roberto to really identify how we um, play our cards. And I think, you know, we've, we've spent a couple of weeks really trying to figure out which routes we have to take um and now uh, we're starting to get into the thick of it and um we have identified some particular areas where we we have to you know it's like any athlete i'm not going to say that we have to do more or work harder i think every single athlete has has their package and within that package they figure out which item they uh, they have to um pick out the most let's say which ingredient they need to use the most to make their yeah. dish um that little bit tastier and that's exactly what we've spent our time doing and understanding biomechanics to my body and now we're hopefully uh strengthening those those areas identified really good uh, it, it hits me as well that and i'm a big believer in this that for, there's always there's consequences to to everything and that everything that happens in life there's there's consequences that we don't always see immediately. So, and and what's coming through loud and clear, and, and I've followed you for, for years, you know, seeing you in the juniors, is a consequence of, one, your upbringing, but two, your challenges that you had when you were younger, is that you have developed a really tough mind and tough resilience, which which is a massive strength of yours as a tennis player. Now, as someone who grows up and plays and everything's okay and they don't have to deal with things, we had Xavier Melis on the on the on the on the show. And he said, like, I never lost. I never lost. And then all of a sudden I went and played on the tour and had no idea how to lose. I I I couldn't, I hadn't developed those skills, you know. And so I guess almost a bit of a reframe in it. It seems like it's also an advantage to you that you've that you've gone through this because of how your now mind is and your outlook on life and how you're now able to really kind of run with this mental strength that you've got. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, I, you know, I certainly feel like I've I've had a ex- different experience to the standard. Um, 21-year-old now or 10-year-old at the time when I uh, first moved to, 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 to Spain. I I definitely do try and utilise my mental strength to the best of my advantage, especially on the court, um, whether that's training or, or competition. Um, 
there's still, I'm sure my uh, my psychologist will say that there's still a lot more we can develop. And that is what I'm out here to do. I am here to develop all of my strengths to the best of their their ability. And also, um, if I remember correctly, Billie Jean King actually said to me, uh, make my weaknesses adequate. And that, you know, is, is something that we've really focused on. So, of course, you know, mental strength is, is what I consider to be uh, one of my big um my big go-tos um but look i think there's part of that comes from my experience um from you know the the things i've had to go through from from childhood but also it comes from playing tennis i mean yeah. playing tennis you've got to be you've got to be mentally strong if you really want to get to where you know most players aspire to be and and, and certainly to where i want to be which is which is uh, a hefty a hefty objective um i I know that I have to be, I have to be nails. And look, I, I don't think I've ever learned how to lose either. Um, I'm still learning how to, you know, really deal with that and and, and see the flip side of it. And um, there are a lot of lessons that um, I've had to obviously go through over over the years I've played tennis. And, and some of them I've still not learned enough from them yet. And um, I, I'm certainly still a loser. And, just recommend to you, Dan, that if you do ever see me after a loss, that you avoid me for 24 hours to 48 hours. <laughs> and that's, I, I wouldn't expect anything different, Fran, from a, a great competitor. You know, it's not that the losing is, is, is never easy. One of my last questions, because I'm, I'm conscious of time, I want to I wanna get into a couple more things. But one question that yeah. I do have, going back to... Australia 2021 people in the tennis world know Fran Jones Fran Jones has got a, has had a good junior ranking you know certainly British people will know people will know Fran Jones but all of a sudden when you qualified at the Australian Open there was a different it certainly seemed like there was a different appeal there was a more global appeal the story was big now if we're being brutally honest that that story wouldn't have been as big if it wasn't for your physical differences, you know, if, if somebody of 19, 20 years old is qualified at the, at the, at the Australian open. Okay. But because of what you had to go through speaking to you now, I'm just wondering, was that a positive for you or was that almost too much for you? And some of those messages that were coming were a little bit kind of pity messages that you're like, screw you guys. I don't need any pity here. I'm on my own journey. How how did you take all of that at that time? Look, I'm aware that, you know, as you say, it, it, it would be a different situation if, if I didn't have those physical differences. But what I would say is um, I don't want to use it as a label. I want my mental strength to be seen as my mental strength, not my mental strength to be seen as a result of... Um, it's it's what I've built over the years and it's who I've created I've created this person and 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 there's you know there's, there's so many things ab about me that I need to to you know continue developing and 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 um, you know keep learning I'm, I'm still young and and uh, from a personal and a professional uh, I have a, I have a hell of a lot of growing to do but I think for me it's about making sure that um it isn't seen as a, a pity story. It's more seen as a kick up your ass story, let's say. Yes. Um, 
and I don't mean that at all in, in, a, in a derogatory way to anyone. We all go through our our uh, really tough moments in life and our um, challenges, those barriers that we kind of find ourselves standing in front of. But uh, I think the important thing is, is is to make sure you don't limit yourself in front of those barriers and and keep keep trying to find a way how you know to to get over it. Keep trying to find a way to jump over it, to run run through it, and to climb on the side of the wall and 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 slowly but astutely find that way to get around it. You know, there's there's many different ways that you can come out a barrier. Um, I'd say I'm someone that's just you know kind of had like a Ron Weasley moment running into the platform nine three quarters, going straight at the barrier and uh, and uh, and just giving it everything. That certainly might be my approach, but um. I I didn't find it difficult. I found it, um, if if anything, I, I found it gave me even more motivation. Um, my my real driver to, for what I do is to, to impact impact myself in the fact that hey, Fran, pat on the back, mate. You've done you've done a decent job here. You've you've proven to yourself, not to anyone else. You've proven to yourself. You've got this. You've got this in the bag, and you can do big things here. And then for the I guess for the platform to impact other people to impact um those little kids kind of like you know sat in hospitals sat at home being limited by whoever and whatever like we are born we are dealt our set of cards whether that's upbringing whatever it is we're dealt our set of cards and life is the game that we have to play and we have to understand how we use our cards to, to, to really win that game and um, I'm still learning, I'm still trying to figure out, I've certainly not won the game nowhere near it but um, I'm, I'm making those steps and I'm, I'm, I'm playing those cards as, as, as wisely as I can on each time and whenever the card fails me I'll pull out another one and, and, and play the next the, the next kind of hand so um, for me it's it's really pushed me forward to to keep keep finding those new levels within myself. And um, you know, at the time, it was it was definitely consuming. I had I didn't have a, an agent at, at that point. I'm now uh, working with Octagon, thankfully, because um, I definitely needed support in that. It was uh, difficult to manage, um, but I'm very lucky in the fact that John Dolan at the LTA um, was absolutely phenomenal for me and, and, and saved me uh, loads and loads of, of time. Um, and we, we managed to put, put together, you know, a couple of days where I could work with the media at that point and, and try and get the message across that the isn't a revenge act for what I was told. It's really just um, more of a challenge that any you know any human could could partake in. Well, I'm inspired now. I was inspired <laughs> then. Everybody listening will be inspired, and and I'm just so pleased that that's how you see it because you know the I guess a fear that I had and and to be very clear that was where my question came from just listening to the way you'd spoken about a couple other things I thought maybe that was the way that you would have taken it that, that you know you didn't want to get the attention for that but I think the way that that has been put across um is 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 all the better and, and we're all all the better for hearing these stories you know and I think you know, kicking us, up the ar- kicking us up the arse and we all need to <laughs> kick up the arse is a lovely way to look at it. I don't think there's, 
I don't need to escape who who I am and I don't need to create this image for people to see me as as whatever I intend to to create you know like I'm not trying to I guess create a facade is the best way what I everyone's going to have their interpretation and their uh, opinion of me and 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 uh, how they view me now and how they will view me hopefully at the end of my career which will be uh, fingers crossed a, a long one I think I don't need to escape that label at all. Um, if if there is going to be a label, what what's important is if if there is a label that I use it to just help people and remind me of what I've done as well, which sometimes I, I do forget. And you, at an early age, moved to Spain, and I yes. think that the Spanish and I've been here now for 12 years over in Spain, and and I see it firsthand. The Spanish are fighters. You know, the Spanish tennis world of fighters. How big of an influence has that Spanish fighter spirit had on you as well? Huge, huge impact. Uh, I moved there when I was 10. You know, there seems to be this um, this stereotype of Spanish players being what is um, colloquially um, referred to as uh, grinders. The Spaniards are not grinders. The Spaniards are so mentally tough that they break you down. They break you down. They don't grind. They break you down. They find a way to get through the match for you to finish and think, oh, my, I am absolutely done. And so it's a different way of playing the game. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that that's the way I, I specifically play the game. Um, and, of course, there are different players, you know, like Badoza and Muguruza and not your... Um, you know, typical in inverted commas grinders. Um, but there's a mentality there, which is, you know, we're humbled. We're going to stay on the court as long as we need to. We will f- run for every ball. We will um, make you play every different style of play in this match. And it's really, they just try and stretch you out to your limits. And, and I think having had the... Um, I'm going to say privilege because it is a privilege to move at such a young age to Spain. Having had the privilege to to play against that sort of um, identity and profile on the court from the ages of ten, it's it's instilled a lot more values in me. Um, those values that I took from up north um, have been, um, let's say, they they were progressed to the values that I I I've now had the uh, the pleasure of of experiencing in Spain. The, the moral of the story, be careful of Spanish Bradford lasses running around the <laughs> tennis court. You know, if there's ever going to be someone who's tough mentally. Fran, I could sit here for hours. I, I know, and again, just for the listeners, this is real. This These these podcasts are real. You know, myself and Fran had a time later on this evening. Um, she has had a little injury today that you're going to jump to the doctor and take care of. So it's meant that we've had to cut the podcast a little bit short. Um, I can't let you go without our quick fire round that we traditionally do on the podcast. So before you head out, are you ready? I'm not sure I am because like, I, I really like to think about things. So um, It's I, easy. It's yeah, easy. Um, Just whatever comes to your head. We can edit bad words out as well. So don't worry <laughs> about that. You know, I've been trying hard <laughs> that one today. You've only said one or two. They slipped I've, out, but that's I've, fine. <laughs> Uh, your favourite Grand Slam? Wimbledon. Clay courts or hard courts? Clay courts. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Serve or return? 
Medical timeout or not, should they be allowed? No. Neck cords or not? As in, I would say, like, keep it as, as it is. As it is, so not college rules. No. Who's going to be the winner of the WTA finals in Mexico? Badoza. She's looking so good, isn't she? I just, I've known her since a young age, so I, uh, I, I believe she will win it. And a quick side note of that, she used the word, I watched the interview last night or whenever it was, and she used the word that Rafa has used a lot and that I think defines the, the Spanish culture. And she said how much she'd suffered during yep. the match and, yep. and, and found the way. And I think, you know, we use that, the word tolerant. You have to tolerate. But as, as tennis players, any young tennis players listening, you have no chance unless you're able to suffer and tolerate a, a pain out there. And what about the winner of the ATP finals in, in Torino? Oh, I don't want to be predictable, but I really think Djokovic is, is uh, ready to go. Yeah, you're incorrect. Medvedev's going to beat him in the final. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> it's, the courts are very quick there. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll text each other in a week's time and yeah. see. And what's one rule change you would make in tennis? Ooh, uh, different balls for every different tournament. I think there should be a ball per quarter. So per Grand Slam, you stick to that ball full stop. That's a unique answer in 142 podcasts. <laughs> nobody nobody <laughs> said it. <laughs> and my last question, we ask everybody this. Before you answer this, you are responsible to help getting this person on the podcast. So be careful. Don't just shout out Superman if you can't get Superman on the show. Oh, no. Who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Oh, I've got goosebumps now. <laughs> um, I I have a few people in my mind, and they wouldn't necessarily be the stereotypical people, but um, that's okay. Sonia Cartel would be my answer. I think she she has a really interesting story, and I've 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 watched her practice, and uh, I've hit with her once, maybe four years ago, but. Um, I don't think she realises that I have a lot of respect for her and uh, we barely know each other. So I think she's got an interesting story and and, and deserves the opportunities to to share that a little bit. We'd love to get her on. We'd love to get her on. Fran, you, you run or not quite run if you've got to take care mm -hmm. of yourself, but I can't tell you how grateful I am for you coming on to, to the show for people to to hear your story to hear to hear you speak you know I'm a big fan of yours from from afar you know all all the very best for 2022 you know keep keep doing your thing keep you know rising those rankings keep inspiring and and keep smiling yeah so thank you so much for coming on thank you very much I, I really appreciate it and once again well done 142 episodes that's a great effort Thanks, Fran. As always, I've got Vicky next to me to, to go through that amazing episode and, and what an episode it was. And I tell you what, Vicky, I certainly would want Fran in my team. <laughs> yeah, me too. She's awesome. It's actually the first time I've heard her speak. Um, I've read about her. I've watched her play, but I haven't I haven't heard her talk about her tennis before. And, you know, she mentioned a few times about having to be nails to be a tennis player and she really does come across as nails. She sounds super tough. She does and, and I think one of the things that, that jumped out to me when, when we're doing all of these episodes is 
there has been quite a common ground of player was around tennis as a youngster, either through a sibling or through a, a parent who was a coach or around a sporting environment. And and I think the fact that Fran very much came from a different background, you know, the story of of, of how and genuinely I said it on the on the on the episode when she said about this nine till five and all of a sudden they turned and nine till five was in lights across the road. <laughs> Genuinely, this light came on. I don't know if it was the dodgy lights at the NTC down at <laughs> Roehampton, but these lights came on and shined on her. And it, and it really does feel as if her whole tennis tennis career started from a point where she had to show incredible resilience, you know. And, and yes, of course, there's the physical differences, but that is who Fran is. And I think she would she would ultimately say herself she wasn't a golden talent in this sport who comes along and it's just meant to be that she's going to be a top tennis player and shoot to stardom. She's had to work for everything that she's got and she continues to. And I think this is the sort of story that we should have young players following because it's the more realistic story, you know, that someone's able to, to just keep going, keep progressing, not taking massive, massive steps year on year, but little baby steps, putting a lot of work in. And and I, I bet she's finished this year one five three. I'll bet my bottom bottom dollar that at the end of next year she would have finished a little bit higher than that and will keep progressing in and I believe have a great career. It's an incredibly inspiring story as well, isn't it? You know, how many times do we hear a player coming off the court going, oh, my grip wasn't right today or I've got the wrong shoes? You know, I, I think it's it's a good listen for a lot of young players. Yeah, just 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 shut up and get on with it. And I, and I think that's what she said. She called it, I think, a kick ass, a, a kick, a bit of a kick up the ass for people. And I think we we all do do need that at times. And and listening to Fran, I mean, like I said, I said at the start here that I'd want her to be on on my team. I think I'd want her to be the manager, the head coach, <laughs> because you know I can you can almost see her in the dressing room like a like an Alex Ferguson type figure. You know, of really giving people a right kick up the arse and she would be someone that you would want to go and play for because of how she carries herself. She's incredibly humble and, and that came through throughout, I think, the episode, how humble she was. But I do love a couple of stories, but one, and we'll definitely try and get her on the show, is Sine Cartel, who she talked about at the end and she's already passed on her number she's gone away found the number passed it to me not a girl that she said she knows but massively admires from the far and the fact that she had those nice words to say about Sine were were really nice to hear as well yeah absolutely but my my favorite story actually had a little tear on my eye with that story was the taxi driver from Argentina What, what a heartwarming story I think it's a story that probably just sums her up, doesn't it? The 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 whole the whole story from from the word go. I think it's very it's very unassuming. It's it's very humbling. It 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 shows the the kindness, 
that she has, but also the toughness that she has. You know, young girl in Argentina, the fact that she trusted this this taxi driver as she did. You know, she she certainly but not has naive a, though. She said she was, you know, wary and you know. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's a certain toughness that goes into a young girl traveling to Spain from a young age. A young girl going to South America. They're pretty. They're pretty tough places to go. You know, you hear you hear a lot of tennis players saying, "Oh, I'm going to go to the all inclusive." In Egypt, I'm going to go to, you know, to say I'm going to go on the clay courts in South America, pretty much on my own, you know, sounds like without a coach and and I'm going to find my way around and I'm going to trust this taxi driver and then at the end of the week, I'm then going to take his family out and, and build a, a beautiful relationship, you know, with, with them, I think. There was so much that came through in that one story. I don't think you'll be the only person that had a tear in your eye <laughs> listening. Uh, like I, I said to Fran, it was a real goosebump moment, you know, that story. And, and me seeing Fran's face when she spoke about that, you know, there was a real warmth in her face and but a real feel good. This is what we always say, isn't it, about, you know, tennis. It's, it's not just the experiences on the court. It's the experiences that it gives you off the court as well. Yeah, so so many things, and and Fran kept saying it. It's it's one of the reasons we we do this podcast to continue unearthing these stories and hopefully inspiring. Um, it it boils down though to two things again that keep coming through: be nice to people, you know, be kind, be humble, you know, live your life in in the right way, and then give your very best and with what you have. We're all dealt as as Fran said different different hands you know and how are we able to go through life with the cards that we have you know and make the very best of that and and I think if you're sticking to those to those two principles you really won't go far wrong in this life I I certainly wish Fran the absolute success and happiness that 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 she deserves and and I'm sure that she that she will get and and for me definitely goes down as one of my absolute favorite guests yeah, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode as well. You can email us at ctc.podcast at sototennis.com or you can head to Instagram and find us at ctc.podcast. Yeah, and let us know what you thought. Also, a little shout out to Stuart Fraser, a journalist from, from the Times newspaper in the UK. It was really lovely of him to, and if anyone saw it, put out a, a little article on, on Saturday just gone by to, to recommend listening to the podcast and said how much he's been loving all the episodes. So thank you, Stuart, for that. And thank you to all of you that have been in touch. We've had some amazing people coming from all parts of the world getting in touch, saying how much these these episodes are inspiring, how insightful they are, and the odd little challenge as well, which we, which we don't mind at all. Um, to, to whet the appetite for the next few weeks, we have... Carolina Pliskova that will be coming on to the show in December. Marty Fish is 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 on his way, guys. He's just he's had to move it back. I think things have gone a little bit mad since the Netflix show, so he's had to move it back a few weeks. But he's promised he's coming on, so watch out for that one. And also Rohan Bapana, who is has been a, a Grand Slam finalist in doubles from India and has an amazing story to tell as well and many many more guests the list is long keep sending in your ideas who you'd like to hear from and we will keep trying to bring them to you guys 
But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables.